I'm Dan Hilton, front man for indie rock band Southern Resident Killer Whales. And I am Josh Dye, the president and founder of the Convene Training and Resilience Community. And welcome to Timberwolves Tip to Tap, a podcast from two guys that love the Minnesota Timberwolves and craft beer. And Dan, I want to bring everyone up to speed. This is an episode that we had attempted to do live on site at Wicked Wart Brewing in Robbinsdale just after last Wednesday's game versus Houston. And before that, we had put out a mailbag request of comments, hot takes, and questions that people have. But what happened to that episode, Dan? Technical difficulties. <clears throat> My technical difficulties. Well, we have not forgotten those mailbag questions, and many of them are still relevant in terms of the pulse of the team. But a fair amount has happened in these last two games against the Pelicans, which we will get in. But first, Dan, after last night's game against the Pelicans, the loss, mm. uh, I, I really was driven to drink. And maybe you were <laughs> driven to drink. And we often are driven to craft beer. Dan, you drinking anything today during the episode? Yeah, and I was already drinking. I mean, let's be honest. But today, <laughs> um, I am drinking just for this episode. Uh, Indeed Brewing's Harvest Ale, their Yama Jama. Um, I think you might as well just call it an Oktoberfest. It's got that sort of spicy uh, tone to it that you would generally expect. And I, I've declared at times that I'm not a big Oktoberfest guy. It's just something about that. Um, spiciness is just a little off-putting. I, I prefer it to be a little bit more well-balanced as a style. But this is a pretty good beer. And it, you just feel kind of right when the leaves are coming down, the year is changing, and you're drinking uh, a an Oktoberfest. So they do a really good job with this. Indeed's brew, Indeed Brewing's Yama Jama Harvest Ale. Uh, Josh, what have you been drinking lately? Well, when we were at Wicked War shortly after the euphoric home opener, which we attended live, and there was that awesome pregame hype video, which they have now showed maybe in full or at least snippets before the mm. Valley Sports North uh, broadcasts or throughout. You know, we go to that game. It's so exciting. And then I pictured a wolf howling at the moon. We had just smoked the the Houston Rockets and on Wicked Wart's menu, I saw the Goodnight Moon Smoked Porter, 7% <laughs> alcohol by volume. This is a Beechwood smoked malt melds with cocoa nibs that in turn complemented by fresh ground coffee beans, smooth, smoky, chocolatey. It was all that and it was a beer that I really enjoyed. And so the only way to get that beer is at Wicked Wart on site. So Feel free to get up there and, and get that if you like. But the Goodnight Moon Smoked Porter is a beer that I drank recently that I enjoyed on site at Wicked Wart Brewing. Right on. And with that, Dan, we got to get into some of our reflections on these first three games. The blowout against Houston, the lackluster win in the first game against Pelicans, and the really uh how would you describe last night's loss to the pelicans what adjective give me an adjective for that uh disappointing lack of flow uh yeah i i think those it felt like not everybody's on the same page in offense and so between that and the um histrionics on the part of uh cat it's it's difficult for this team to get into a flow and sustain anything but yeah we're just not seeing them come together on the offensive end thus far and it's been it's been disappointing yeah so one of the things about not really coming together on the offensive end on the floor when we were watching the game live against houston and then in the two games since i've noticed that in coach finch's rotations cat and ant are off the floor at the same time together uh, often. And when they've been on the floor together, they've been fantastic thus far for the most part, or at least going into last night's game, they, they were. But I think it is essential for this team's success to have one of those two guys on the floor at all times. What we've seen thus far is they're out, and then you have an offensive unit led by D'Lo and others. And I think... It's pretty well understood now uh, between last year, D'Lo's time in Golden State, that 
D'Lo is best when he's not the one carrying the load, but when there is a better player than him on the floor to to help facilitate. And I really want to just make see Cat or Ant on the floor at all times. Are you on board with that, or you think, oh, let this play out and just see what D'Lo can do without one of those other two guys? I just I think I think the jury has really <laughs> that it's out. You know, D'Lo is not good in that role. Why are we forcing this? Right. And um, to your credit, this is a take that you delivered after our game one win at Houston in our podcast where there was technical difficulties. You were already saying this and you you were saying it, maybe not on the air, but you were saying it to me last year. And it's a, a thing that we have talked about, which is that when when D'Lo in his career was at his best in Brooklyn, he's part of a cohesive unit in which there's a lot of people contributing when he's been at his worst, which is in a depleted Golden State team where he was told D'Lo go to work or last year when Cat was out. Um, that's absolutely not when he's at his best. And I, I think he would recognize that. I think he would admit that. But um, he also has some <laughs> tendencies to, to, you know, think of himself as a shot maker. And when he looks around and, and doesn't see stuff happening, he's prone to take shots where we maybe question his decision making and and so on. But I, I, I think this is a very fair point that you can't. There's a lot of evidence out there on what happens when Cat is the main breadwinner out there on the court. I mean, uh did I say cat when D'Lo is the main breadwinner out there on the court and is expected to carry the team? It's not, it's, it's, it doesn't work. And then just a couple of comments on D'Lo's performance thus far. And I would want to put it in the context of the first three mm-hmm. games. Cause he was particularly bad last night, but he was as, but for the two shots, he may have been worse the previous night, but go on. Yeah. Well, and that was going to be one of the, the things I was going to say is commonly with D'Lo, you hear people say, well, if this had not happened, well, it did happen. So you like, you can't take away. Oh, well, if that hadn't happened, it would have that's been a great, that's a great point. Nobody, nobody asked the other team to t- take away what happened when they, you know, hit a bank shot, half court three and beat the wolves. It's like, let's not, you know, yeah, Nobody and I cares. get the broader, yeah. like in terms of quality of play, point that's being made there, but it ultimately mm-hmm. is ir- irrelevant if the things keep happening. Because yeah. in the first game, D'Lo he shot fifty-six percent true shooting percentage, but it had to rely on him making four consecutive threes in the third quarter, which he did, which helped then bolster that lead back up to the point where it was unreachable. So he was like, with those, pretty good. Second game. He's playing bad, and yet he comes in in the fourth quarter, shows off those clutch uh, chops, which he is known to have, makes two big threes plus a uh, mid-range shot in the fourth quarter that really helped us win that game. That without those, we probably uh, might, or we might be having a very different conversation. And so, and then of course last night he was just bad, and so. I, I do want us to moderate a little bit on the whole uh, D'Lo is bad. I want to like, and I see this happening on Twitter all the time too. Well, if he hadn't, hadn't hit those shots in the fourth quarter, if he hadn't hit those uh, four straight threes, well, he did. And that's a part of his game. And so let's evaluate him based on what he's actually doing or not doing as opposed to, well, if that hadn't happened, it was a total nightmare. Well, it did and it wasn't. Until right. last night, which was a total nightmare. <laughs> right. And I, th- I think what I think we always want to discourage in, in terms of how basketball is evaluated, I think the wrong way to evaluate a situation like this is to say, you know, D'Lo sucks. <laughs> you know, end of story. It's, like, it, 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 the wrong way to look at a three-game stretch. You could say, like, D'Lo is sucking. He's playing bad. But what you see is, like, if he if he goes, like, say he goes 0 for 8 from 3, you're going to get someone that's essentially there. The tone of what they're saying is, see, see, he sucks. And it's like, well, no, wait a minute. No, it it is objectively false that he can't shoot 
threes. There's a lot of legitimate critiques to his game, you know, whether it's some of his decision-making about when he takes shots in the shot clock or, you know, his contributions in D. But interestingly, you know, D, I mean, I realize it's in the context of other stuff going on, but D'Lo has a defensive rating of 101 thus far this year. <laughs> I test, I would say he's one of the weaker links in what has otherwise been a relatively aggressive um, getting after it defense. Yeah. But, you know, if you're going to talk about the reasons he's like, yeah, he's throwing, he's throwing passes out of the, out of bounds. He's been playing really bad. That is not like a calling card of his career is that he's chucking passes to nobody out of bounds. Right. Like there's something else going on. So, you know, I see a take that's like, oh, you know, he needs to be benched till further notice. Like, well, you know, that's easy to say. Like in the context of like what you're trying to build, it's like this. I don't think anyone who's reasonably thinking about this is not going to think that the Wolves are going to continue to have like a 93 offensive rating with Cat, D'Lo, and, and Ant on the court at the same time. But that's where they're at now. But that mm-hmm. is simply going to change. But that's not going to change if all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know, three games in Delo sucking. Like, let's assume that that is, again, it's, you know, the most recent thing that happened is not the thing that's always going to happen. And so, no, you, I think you, as Finch even said, this team was behind. They didn't work on offense a lot in the offseason. It was really a focus on defense. And we're really seeing that come to light. There's every reason to believe that they're going to have a really good offense before this is all said and done and so the solution is not to give D'Lo, Ant, and Cat less run um, it's just <laughs> yeah <laughs> now if if we're like three months into the season and he's just playing inexplicably bad in all facets of the game that's something to be concerned over but right now we need to be focusing on whether he's addressing things that he has a body of work that suggests he needs to address, not, you know, oh, wow, he went one for five from three. Oh, wow, he's throwing passes out of bounds. Like, well, okay, <laughs> yeah, he, he's going through a, a really bad stretch, and let's and, evaluate that accordingly. And we often don't get into the X's and O's too much, but one thing I would be fine seeing in terms of a little less run for D'Lo or a little different run for D'Lo is if we go to my concept of cat or ant needs to be on the floor at all times. Right now, for through the first three games, we've seen a rotation where D'Lo plays about the first uh, five, six minutes of the first quarter, and then he comes out for Beverly or, mm-hmm. or McLaughlin, right? Well, what if we give him another extra minute or two and then uh, Beasley or McLaughlin comes in and then cat or ant stays in and that – it's paired, and then rather than D'Lo coming back in so quickly after that, you keep Cat or Ant together, and uh, and D'Lo maybe does get a little let gets a little more run up front, a little less run later, and it ensures that Cat or Ant is always on the floor. I think Finch will figure that out. But now, Dan, I'd really like to, and I think we might have a little bit of disagreement here on terms of the loss to the Pelicans. I place that like 99% on Carl Anthony town. <laughs> I realize, I realize that without cat, this team gets obliterated basically every game. And I love cat. He's an offensive savant defensively. He's been so much better this year. And so I do believe that Carl Anthony towns is the best player on our team. And that D played worse than him last night. And that Ant, until his third quarter, was useless last night, largely. And so that Cat played better than the other two stars. However, your best player sets the emotional tone for the game. And if they start acting immature like a baby, it's one thing to be officiated unfairly. And let's say that he is. How you respond to that in terms of kicking the other team's butt or proving the officials wrong, but if you go emotionally, you lose it, and then physically you lose it, and then it becomes a battle between you and the refs, which you are going to lose, (laughs) then that seeps into the rest of the team. It impacts everybody else's performance, everybody else's emotions, and we fell into that big hole because he is such an immature baby. When he does that, 
It is toxic. It's a loser's attitude, and we will never achieve the potential that we need to achieve if he's going to continue that BS. Last night's game is on him. Everybody's blaming D'Lo. Everybody's praising Ant's brilliant third quarter, which is fine, but he was garbage before that. That is, and and it was because of Cat setting an early tone that was so disruptive and toxic. Nothing else mattered and then we had to clear that out of our system Ant had to bail him out to even make it a game and if he keeps doing that it's so unappealing to watch he'll deserve every unfair call that he gets from the officials because how he responds is unproductive as you've said in the past see a sports psychologist see a therapist get it out of your system because i am tired of seeing it <laughs> I pretty much agree, but I feel like I'm listening to ESPN radio. <laughs> You're just like, honestly, I know. watching it last night. I'm like, why am I being forced to watch yeah. this crap? I'm not being forced to watch it. But you yeah. are, you are embodying cats emotionality during the game. Like during our podcast, <laughs> if this podcast goes off the rail, it's on you, Josh. <laughs> No, I'm not our best player, Dan. I'm not yeah, our best yeah. player. Fair. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that that was that was great. It was a great rant, and I I, I think you're pretty much right. Um, I I mean, in a, in a game where a guy and I realize there was like five or seven garbage points, but you know you got a thirty-four point fourteen rebound game, and like I, I understand what you're saying. He lost us the game, and I I think actually you might be literally right in the sense that I think you're he is he's taking the team with him emotionally so as he emotionally gets drawn in the crowd even the crowd is emotionally drawn in I don't think when has a game ever turned because the crowd started shouting refs you suck when has that ever swung a game it's like a there's probably some wise way of looking at that where you'd say as soon as the crowd started chanting refs, you suck. That's when the home team lost, lost it because that's when they know that they actually got a built in excuse in the back of their mind. They know they got a built in excuse. So like, Oh, everybody realized, you know, woe is us. And so we got that, we got that in our back pocket. And so I think you're right. I think one thing that we're going to end up talking about before this uh, episode is over is about, the leader of the team and this idea. Cause I think you even said when you, we could listen back later, but I think you may have said cat as the leader of the team. And I think a lot of people sense is that maybe that's transitioning about to transition. I don't know if you've heard much about the Anthony Edwards interview last night. It was actually great. A study of contrast in which cat in his interview, he did the thing that he always does where he takes this general responsibility without saying specifically what has to change um and and ant went right to the specifics and the other thing that i i, I noted and, and this was a an observation dane moore had during the game that he tweeted out which is where beverly started yelling at his own bench about talking to the refs stop fucking talking to them <laughs> Which is like, yeah, stop talking to them. The time to talk to the refs actually is during the dead ball. And I think that that's what the mature, you can give a quick, like, uh, you know, like you, you have to give a quick pose of frustration and then do your business. And then next dead ball, go over to the ref, like, Hey, here's what's happening down there. Here's what I'm seeing. And actually have a conversation with them and respect them. Because I think the thing that we sensed last night, and I don't know how often I've seen this before, but I've never been qu quite so certain that I was watching revenge calls on the part of Ed Malloy. Like he was, he, he was literally too, pissed. By the way. He, he does suck. And so, so, and a lot of people are saying this, so I'm not paving any new ground, but it can be true that cat is getting jobbed and he should respond entirely differently. And that's exactly what was going on. And so here you see Malloy, it's like, he's got the crowd coming down on him. He's got cat whining. And so he's like, I'll show you. And then, <laughs> Cheap foul. Yep. Two, 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 yeah. Uh, screening foul on uh, offense and defense. And, um, and so, yeah, in terms of like, we can't, we, we can't, everyone's watching thinking this. We just can't do this again. We can't have yeah. another season where 
toward the end of every first quarter, they're pulling cat with two fouls. You see this look that looks like he wants to cry. And suddenly the emotional energy of everything is getting sucked into that. It's like, it is like having a toddler when suddenly you can't get any work done around the house because <laughs> their emotional black hole is just sucking in all your energy. Yeah. And, uh, and it, I, I would say that, you know, so we talk about the mantle being passed and, you know, Ants maybe going about to assume this leadership role and that would be great. And I hope Kat's able to handle that. And Beasley, of course, being a, a leader, but I think we talked about this with Ricky Rubio last year that you or can Beverly, be, you mean? huh? You said Beasley. Do you mean Beverly? I mean, Beverly. Thank you. Yeah. Um, talked about this with Ricky Rubio last year that like you can be a leader, a locker room leader, whatever. But if you're not one of the best players in the team, you can't really be a leader. So you can kind of push everyone in in another direction or whatever, but you ultimately need one of your very best players to be the guy that's like, okay, everyone, this is what we're going to do and to really hold people accountable. And it just carries more weight. And so we're seeing Ant maybe about to do that, but I'm wondering why, why we don't expect more of that out of D'Lo actually, because he is a pretty thoughtful cerebral guy. He also, we've seen him. It's not like he can't get sort of emotionally supportive of teammates and, and he's had enough years in the league now where he's got some veteran credibility. And he's also one of the few players that's achieved any level of success in that he did he, he was essentially the best player on a team that went to the playoffs about three years ago. And why don't we, ex- so like cat starts going out of control. Why isn't D over there kind of pinning his arms, getting in his face and like, Hey man, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get back player. in our own head. He's the third best player. And cat cat absorbs so much emotional energy of the team when he does that, that. Yeah. I'm not really- saying that. I'm not saying that D'Lo needs to take over the total like leadership mantle. I'm saying why doesn't he at least assume the role of like I'm I'm the I'm the cat like I'm the big cat tamer, <laughs> lion tamer. It reminds me back when you know I watched a lot of the Bulls in the '90s, as did everybody else. I get that, but that cat is essentially emotionally Dennis Rodman on this team. Remember like how yeah, and it's like. Imagine if Michael Jordan was that, or even Pippen was that. They were taming Rodman, and that's what made it possible. But you can't have Rodman emotionally as your. That's your interesting. I, I think this is a great take because, like, normally when there's a player that is that emotionally out of control on the court, they're sort of nuts always. And Cat is so well-spoken and now having like gone through the tragedies he has everyone's thinking like oh here's this new guy with a new perspective on life he is what he is and he can be like well-spoken outside but i think that lures into lures you into even though you've seen it before and you expect to see it again you keep thinking that like okay he's going to mature to this point where this isn't the case anymore and this is more than almost more than like trying to get a judgment on his defense it's almost like the the book has been written on whether cat uh, can control himself on the court. Um, yeah. I, I just, I just, I would worry a little bit if this does become like I, some, so, so ant starts becoming the just well-regarded number one on the team, the leader of the team is can't cat going to be able to handle that. And will that necessarily keep him from, at least now, if he thinks, if he ostensibly thinks he's the the leader, at least he has a motivation to try to keep himself in check. I worry a little bit what could happen if he's like, yeah, well, feeling let's talk displaced. about this for a second because you might remember last year when we were doing the podcast, and this is when D'Lo was out, and I had said something like, "Ant's the leader of this team." It just hasn't like happened yet, but Ant is the leader of this team. He was the one who was closing down the stretch. It was on his shoulders. And um, and I wonder, like, what has to happen actually for the outfall role to flip on this team? Because we would be much better off with Ant being, in theory, the best player and the one who sets the emotional tone 
because he's far more mature than Cat. He doesn't lose his mind on the court. He, but like, there's going to be a switch that flips or that has to flip for it to happen. It's not going to happen in a press conference. Like, Ant is modeling what we want to see. And I realize you can say, like, well, yeah, Ant's like the, the leader of the team, but something has to flip that switch. And I don't know if it's like a locker room fight, eh? but <laughs> it's not switching until there is like some pivotal thing that changes it. And it might be that we feed Ant the ball down the stretch and we run the offense primarily through him. I mean, Cat was such a great playmaker. And, and I don't even know if that makes us a more successful team. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like what flips the um, who's the alpha, who sets the emotional tone, who's the leader of the team, something has to change it. I, I think it's great. And I'm going to give a, a Josh's underrated tweets with, with your do ants hibernate comment <laughs> you yeah. made the other night, like ant facts, which is great when we hadn't heard from him. But it is interesting how how he will sort of. You're talking about him sort of taking on that role of like, okay, climb on my back. Where we'll see this stretch as like the incredible 23 point quarter from yeah. last night, but then very absent in the first half of the game. And there's this thing that reminds me of Giannis in the playoffs last year. And it was like two games into the series versus Phoenix when he had this moment and he's like, Oh yeah, I'm the best player on the court. And Giannis will do that sometimes where he will suddenly remember that this is my, you know, my, what I imagine I'm seeing. He suddenly remembers that nobody is capable of stopping him and he can do anything he wants. And I feel like Ant is still going through this phase of of growth where it's like okay you know i gotta distribute and i i was i was making some notes on the game last night and i was so impressed with his deference where he was kicking the ball just beautifully like he's thinking about wanting to get people involved or whatever but then again not really you know he can get anything he wants or he could get fouled and it seemed like in the third quarter he had that moment where he's like, oh, yeah, I'm the best player on the court and I can do this. And so I wonder if some of that transformation is that happening. I will also say you're saying that, you know, you're not going to see it just because Ant says it in the press conference. But one of the things he did say was that I've not been I've not been talking much on the court. I'm not right. one to say much. That's going to change. So it will be interesting to see if if like maybe he is a rare enough individual where he simply says he's going to start doing this and then we see it change i mean we've seen dramatic changes in shot selection and defensive intensity and other things that he he keeps surprising us and so maybe the next time something's happening you know it doesn't need to be patrick beverly barking at people to try to bring them together it's going to be the most talented player on the court yeah yeah and i think that might be a you know, the next time Cat gets all flaily and emotional, that Ant goes and grabs him and, like, shoves him to the bench. Like, it's going to have to be something that's both physical yeah. and emotional that's, like, a finger in your sh- face of Cat, shut the F up. Yeah, that, I think I th- the, like, the thing I would be... Cause... becomes a, you're going to submit to me as a leader of this team. Like, it's not going to happen organically. There's going to be a moment. If it happens, there's going to be a moment. I do, I do worry. Too good. Um, in terms of performance on the floor t- for that to to happen because they're going to be like such elite alphas as performers. We needed a moment where Ant becomes the emotional alpha over Cat and Ant doesn't put up with his BS. I wish the issue with Cat not being a leader was more of the I don't want this burden. I don't want to be the leader. The problem is I think he loves it. I think he loves he loves saying the right thing. He loves yeah. saying that, you know, like this is all on me. I need to change. And he's so kind of lost in that. Uh, the image he's trying to create around it. I, I worry I'm, I'm catching a few danger zone things. If we're talking about like, Ant grabs cat and pushes him to the bench or, you know, every, all of a sudden there's this media narrative that Ant is the new leader of the team and, you know, Cat's reading every article that he can find because he really, really cares about this. And I do worry about that pecking mm-hmm. order thing. I mean, it, it would be great 
If it, and, and it's going to be hard to know how much it does bug Cat because he, you, I don't think you get. I th- I don't think where basketball is concerned, you get very honest answers, very yeah. soul searching answers from Cat. He's really great on soul searching stuff in a non basketball sense. Right. But hey, I'm well, wondering if we're getting far enough into this episode when we should uh, move and try to hit some of that mailbag stuff. Yeah, or did you I guess I just want to put one bow on it and then we can hop into the mailbag, which is around. I, um, oh, what was I going to say, Dan? I had something right there on the tip of my tongue around. Um, I'm the one that should have beer brain here. <laughs> is, right. it, is it around uh, that uh, cat's? Uh, oh, yeah. It was yeah. just that. Um, you know, him being so emotionally and then physically flaily last night is for no reason. You're playing the Pelicans. Like, you can afford to, like, get fouled here and there because if we keep it together, we're going to beat these guys. So it just shows me how out of control it is for him that there's not even a sense of context. Um, I, I do remember last year Finch was asked in a press conference this is not long after he started whether we needed to start looking at like talking with cat about things he could do to not pick up the early fouls. And, and Finch was like, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not particularly concerned. And that is his answer to a lot of things. And it's fair for him to like, that's not a thing I want to, you know, drag out into the light of the day and we will deal with it. But I also had the idea at the time that maybe it was like, Oh, he doesn't know. He hasn't watched this for the last three years. And like now he's starting to get a sense. But if every once in a while there's a thing where we have so much learned history here watching this team and things that we've seen over time when I, you know, and I almost wonder like that D'Lo, D'Lo can't be out there on his own. You know, maybe there's like, oh, he doesn't know. He doesn't, he just doesn't understand. He needs a few more observations. I think it's kind of silly to suggest that, you know, we have observations that are more useful than what he is. The old Finch knows everything. We know nothing, you know? Yeah. All right, Dan, let's get in the mailbag. We had a handful of submissions from people that we interact with on Twitter. The first one comes from Jerry of Ball Eyes North at we love Ball, Jerry uh, at Ball Eyes North. And Jerry was talking about team chemistry, particularly after that first Houston game of, do you see that early team chemistry, the bench going crazy for Malik Beasley's hustle hustle when he chased something down defensively in the fast break. And then he dives out of bounds and the whole team comes and he said, do you see that early team chemistry as a difference maker from the past? Or is it just early season honeymoon phase? And did we see it carry over into the next couple of games? Dan, is it a honeymoon phase or is it, you know, something different might be present with this team. I So I'm glad we had the additional two games of observation. So I, I feel like I'm saying this with just a little bit more of a, a body of evidence on which to base a, an opinion. But I, I do think there is something different. And I'm seeing it more on the defensive end of things. Um, there were lapses. And there's definitely an inability to, uh, you know, get defensive rebounds um, the last couple games. But even so, I'm, I feel like I'm still seeing a lot of players flying around, uh, maybe even guys that I wouldn't necessarily have seen f- fly around. Um, certainly, it's st- there still could be a honeymoon phase. Uh, but I, I just feel like in addition to what we've seen so far on the court, combined with all of our credible local journalists that have said been sort of a chorus of voices saying, I know we say this, you know, a lot of people say this every year, but something seems different this year. You hear that again and again, something seems different this year. So I'm going to choose to believe that there is something a little different this year. And um, yeah, let's see how the team responds in, uh, in the game versus Milwaukee this Wednesday. So Billy had a question at Rolex VY at Rolex VY. Billy wants to know what are the best defensive offensive lineups look like and what options do we have? So it's an interesting question. Um, 
because we have so many one dimensional players on this team and and we're seeing this right now where you just a couple getting a couple defensive stoppers out there and suddenly f- you feel like you can't generate any offense on the team and um, we're running into similar things in a rebounding sense i i, I think <laughs> you might have a similar thing in terms of where you say you can't, you have to have cat or ant on the court at all times. There might be a similar defensive thing where you have to say, we have to have Vanderbilt or a Kogi on the court at all times in terms of keeping a defensive identity going and sort of like modeling the flying around. I guess we have, you know, Beverly is, is um, part of that package too now. But, um, yeah, I, I think it, it feels a little weird to say like, here's our, here's our, because there's gonna be hundreds of lineups that are used through the, through the year. So to, you know, pick like five guys and say, here's the, you know, best lineup that gives a mix of offense and defense. Presumably that's kind of what you're trying to do in your starting lineup. Um, but it feels a little weird to answer it in that sense. But I, I'll just say that I think it from a defensive standpoint, you gotta you gotta have a tone setter out there at all times, just like you do in an offense. Josh, how do you interpret this question, or how would you answer it? I think our best offensive lineup goes back to we always need to have either Cat or Ant on the floor at all times. So I would reference back to that. And then you kind of have to do it based on a matchups or needs basis. Maybe it makes sense to have Beasley out there. Maybe you need the sort of efficiency of pace that Jordan McLaughlin brings us, or maybe you need, uh, I, I, w- I wonder why we're never doing the twin towers of cat and Nas. And just like, we just never really get to see that. And so I don't think with this team, we know yet the best offensive lineup. And I think with the best defensive lineup, we know that it involves Vanderbilt and a Kogi. And that if you fall behind by a lot, like we did last night, you need a better balance of offense and defense to make that comeback happen. And we don't really have that balance on our team. That, I'm a little, you got to get Beasley out there and, then you have a naturally smaller team. So even if you get some stops, you get demolished on the boards because a fundamental component of being a great defensive team is clearing the possession with a GD rebound. So um, our best offensive team to help us catch up, even if they are pesky enough to get some tips, get some steals, they're not going to get the rebound. And so it's probably going to be a net negative. And so I think the, the key is to stay in games enough that you can keep an Akogi or a Vanderbilt or even a McDaniels out there at any time so that you can afford to um, play a Beasley when you need some extra juice on the offensive side. Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting last night. So we're getting killed. Re- lack in a, you know, in addition to sort of like what's where's D one of the main concerning storylines thus far this season is lack of ability to rebound and jared vanderbilt is arguably the best rebounder on the team and he played nine minutes last night i think that's kind of interesting and like i know he's kind of skinny he's not going to be able to hold his ground uh, against Jonas valanciunas but who is and i'm just surprised he wasn't out there a little more um, I don't know what he was doing. I mean, he had a, he had bad minutes when he was out there. Um, and also Torian Prince, I, I sort of imagine yeah. was going to be used a little more as a power forward than he has been. But in, in a, in terms of game where we're not hitting threes, we're getting outsized. He's one of our bigger guys and hits threes. He and Vanderbilt both played under 10 minutes and it's just kind of interesting that, uh, that I just think I, maybe it's interesting. Us. I think Cat sabotaged us, and then we fall behind by a lot. And then Finch is trying to like figure out the right strings to pull. And that, in a in a twenty thousand foot view, you can be like, yeah, only eight minutes here, only eight minutes there. But when you get into like the guts of that game, I can kind of see how that happened. Yeah, yeah, and I don't want to start going down the road where I'm like questioning rotations on a game to game basis. But since we are talking about 
you know, sort of balance for lineups or whatever. I'm just yeah. surprised. Right, Dan, that, you know, yeah. Our next mailbag question comes to us from a Timberwolves fan in Belgium whose name I don't know how to pronounce, but at, I think it's Weem, W-I-I-M 1986, at W-I-I-M 1986. And I'll say he's a great, he's a great, uh, contributor to discourse and he's in there often. So we love you. We, we just hope we're pronouncing your name, right? Which of these three did you like more Beasley just glowing when the team was praising him for defense, which might mean he'll buy into that because that was evident in the Houston game. Jordan McGlaw, excuse me, Jaden McDaniels mm. quietly being the perfect compliment to our core players that we hoped he'd be or a Kogi looking like a legit starter. And that was all after the Houston game, which all of these seem to be <laughs> in uh, in question to just a mere two games later. Uh, but which of those do you take? The Beasley looking like he might buy in more to defense, McDaniels being a good compliment to our core players, or a Kogi being a disruptive, legit starter, especially on defense. Mm. Yeah, things things look so differently a few uh games in here i'll say that you know a kogi last night felt kind of unplayable in terms of us trying to get anything going on offense and not being big enough to contribute the way we need like uh, the part of defense that we needed most which was defensive rebounding um so i could answer this in terms of if these trends had continued but I'm going to answer it in terms of what we know now. And so I think that if a Kogi is a starter at any point in this season, it's going to have to be very, very situational. Um, I mean, let's be honest. We are floundering at figuring out what to do with the power forward position right now. There are no answers right now. And that's so much of this revolves around that right now. The default is, Jaden McDaniels and this is Jaden McDaniels quietly being the perfect compliment to our core players. And he has continued to do stuff. He's not really given us much offense in the last couple games, almost to a curious degree. Um, and maybe that's part of what Ant was talking about in his interview about uh, the, the big three needing to share the ball a little more. Um, but I do think that that was an interesting comment given how relatively quiet Ant was in in three of the four quarters and how cat only took two shots in the fourth. Um, but getting through those first two points, I'm going to say the Beasley glow, glowing when his team was praising him for his defense. I'm going to cheat on this and say the reaction that we saw the, I think the team praising him is the most important thing, more important than the Beasley part of that sentence in that, if you have this team that is that engaged and that universally supportive and all buying in, that would be the most promising thing you'd see people buying into the defensive effort, the defensive intensity. So more than Beasley glowing over it, because who's not going to like it when your team is praising you. But I think the idea that we have a, an engaged defense that might be sustainable is, is the most promising of the three. All right. Hot takes that came in from, Fans, Dan, J at J, J-A-Y-Q-U-L-A-Q-U-R out of Brazil, another international Wolves fan. Yeah. Says Vanderbilt is going to be the starting power forward by the second month of the season. Dan? Hmm. I think it is very reasonable to think that that will be the case if there is not a personnel change if there's not a, a trade that brings in another option i'll say it again it doesn't look like we currently it doesn't look like finch currently really believes he has a four i mean Jaden mcdaniels as a starter and kind of as a starting four seems like his default preference because there's not another option um Vanderbilt's who I would have chosen to start at power forward for the year. But I think until we get a, an offense that looks like it can do anything, it's, it's dangerous starting Vanderbilt, but let's assume the offense is going by then. And maybe we feel like we can sacrifice what he takes away from us 
Um, I'm going to say that that's a, a decent hot take. Josh, Left what do you think about that? I'm just going to let you have that one. Oh, okay. All right. Left-hand layup coach at Junior Ham Sandwich says, I would trade Beasley for Bagley. Would you, Dan? So I would not. Um, I think Beasley is a legitimately good deal for the money, although with the lack of minutes and production of the last three games would make you question this, but we're not a small sample size podcast. So I'm not going to get drawn into that too much. I will say that Bagley does not, he, if, if we were wanted to get him in here, Marvin Bagley for the third, what's that? Oh yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. If we wanted him in here as like our power forward solution, that's, he's going to be yet another really, imperfect piece not giving us what we need he's not a particularly reliable three-point shooter he's also terrible terrible on defense and so we already have a bunch of imperfect fits for three on defense and he's not on a particularly great contract either he makes almost as much as beasley and so i would rather hold beasley back because he he would provide teams with a very he's a very tradable piece in that his contract is reasonable. It's an amount that would fit in well to trade packages. And he's, when he gets going, he's a, you know, a a dead eye from three and lots of teams would like that. And I'm not sure if people are all that interested in Bagley. So I'm going to say no. I wouldn't either, especially those two people, but Dan, this team and its power forward situation. Are you that concerned about it in terms of the big picture? Yes. Yes, I am. Because I I currently feel like we have like four imperfect options. And and maybe if we had an imperfect person who just had some bulk and could just bang around a bit. <laughs> like if we st- <laughs> still had a Cole Aldrich on the team or okay, it wouldn't be power forward, but you know what I mean? Like a, a, a big that can le- legitimately bang and just occupy space. I wouldn't be so concerned about the shortcomings of the existing players we have, but I think it's a real, it's a real problem right now. It's like, we're going to, sort of change our lineup depending on, on the matchup. But like, there's, there's no one you have to fill us a, a, a couple specific roles. So, yeah, I think it's I, a problem. I'm, I think ideally we would have that problem solved, but I'm, I don't think it's a fatal flaw for this team. I think if we start making our shots at just a slightly higher clip, we'll be able to survive the Jonas Valanciunas of the world. And even when it's Joe and not too many teams are going to be like Jonas and Zion. And we didn't even have to face Zion. Right. That is like, there's going to be a big guy out there who gives us a, a fair amount of trouble. But I think we can counter that just by making our shots and by playing better offense, because we do have some length. We can get some rebounds. I it's a problem, but I think this team can survive it. If two things happen, one, we start making our shots at a higher level and two, Cat doesn't sabotage us with his babiness early on in games that causes us to get all out of sorts. Yeah, I, I think maybe I'm putting the cart before the horse a bit, but I'm thinking about how you know you come playoff time, <laughs> you what happens then is when time, teams have time to plan. It's sort of like how guys like Gobert get exploited in the playoffs because like you, you teams will exploit your weaknesses. And this is without a doubt, this is a weakness. Even if we're hitting shots at a higher clip, it's, it's going to be a weakness eventually. And maybe this is the sort of thing. It's all right. If we have a team, as you say, that can, once our offense gets humming, that can win a bunch of games and be entertaining, that's good for this year. And then we're sort of building. But I think in terms of long-term success, it is a, a piece that you're going to have to solve. I think this is a bad time to ask this question, Dan. (laughs) But to get a power forward that will actually make the kind of difference that we need, truly, Mm -hmm. it's going to be like, all right, now we're not getting massacred on the boards. I don't think Beasley's enough. 
So then you're talking about having to trade. And I think now people, even though it's a smaller sample size, Jaden McDaniels feels very tradable, but I don't think he's enough, right? Like I talk about how he's been overrated by the fan base a bit that he, I like him and he's sound, but so then you are probably talking about like, um, like where do you have depth <laughs> and you it's in the point guard position to actually get a power forward. It's going to like, whoa, that really yeah. solves it. In terms of a long, maybe I'm not, I don't know if I'm thinking really long-term solution at this point, but I'm not talking about getting the uh, Collins type player. I'm not talking about getting someone that fills all the boxes, like yeah. a guy that can hit threes, can bang and can score 18 to 20 points a game. I would settle for a guy that does what Vanderbilt does, but is 30 pounds heavier and an inch higher or an inch taller or something where, where I'm really just talking about, we have a, like a, a bulk void on the team. And so Beasley definitely is a useful tradable piece that teams could really use, especially playoff teams that are looking for a guy you could just kick it out to, you know, we're having trouble finding minutes for Beasley right now, but if we had a guy that could justify his minutes on the court and also bang, um, we'd have a role. And like, not that I want to short, short sell us at all, but I think in terms of, could we get the player that we need for Beasley? I think it all depends on how, you know, are you talking about a rotational guy or are you talking about you're looking at somebody that's like a, an above average NBA starter and. Yeah. And we don't need to get into it here, but I just wonder like, why is this not Nas Reed? I get, he's like kind of, he's lean, but. I think it's an interesting question. I wonder, yeah, I, I don't understand how he has small area quickness on offense and not in defense. That is a good question because I've wondered why not Nas? Nas is not a small man. Right. He is clearly Jonas Valanciunas was too much. And maybe this is just a rare because he has feasted on the wolves for years and there's not too many people his size that play his style and are capable of what he is in the NBA. Even though he's not like an all-star, he's just he's just a load and we've always had trouble and so maybe this becomes less of an issue versus some other lineups but i don't understand with all the everything you hear out of nas is him like being willing to do whatever the coaches tell him and all the leaps that he's made in his game why 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 do we assume he's only a center? Why do we assume he's not a power forward? And why do we not assume, or why have we not seen uh, much improvement on the defensive end? Why can't he be a big load that can bang around with guys like Valanciunas? I don't know. I just want a guy who can wall up, who can rebound, and who can hit a corner three out of that role. That's like speaking, of, speaking of walling up, for all the, the um, savagery <laughs> issued toward Cat, he has continued to play great defense. He actually only had one foul, like interior defense on, yeah, and and it was a bad call on Valanciunas. And he, I mean, he's been he's been rim protecting when necessary. He's been walling up. He's been moving. He's been active. Um, that's <laughs> that's a pretty great player right now. Cat, make yeah. no mistake. I have zero. Yeah. problems with cat the basketball player he has been <laughs> phenomenal mm. um on on the court and you know what i mean okay yeah jack wolves fan at jack wolves fan says ant might be a legit all nba player this season dan uh that, i don't know how you can disagree <laughs> i don't think we, we I, when we talked about this when we failed because of technical difficulties we started going through the guards that are on all NBA and there's from a reason we're not going to go do that again, but there's just not going to be room. There's guys that are just shoe ins if they play how they've played in the past. And you know, the Damian Lillard's and Steph Curry's and so on. It's like, and it's not supplanting those guys. And I think there's literally not enough space 
but I think the idea that Ant plays a year with the offensive productivity and efficiency of like a Donovan Mitchell does not seem out of reach. And Donovan Mitchell didn't even make all NBA last year. No, yeah, that's very young. Speaking of there's not space. Those are guys who were left off last year. You got yeah. to be a top six and your position is guard. And he would and have Trey's to entrance, Trey's entrance into that conversation is uh, his to lose at this point since his playoff run, like that's, that'll do it for him. It is interesting given Utah's, regular season success given their sustained success that Donovan Mitchell does not make an all NBA team. It's just interesting. Cause like after that, what's, who's the third best player on Utah? Is it, you know, Joe Ingles? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's just weird. It's like, yeah, they're a kind of a two man show and the best record in the league. And one of the guys isn't making all NBA. And one guy takes a ton of crap from Wolves fans when he does make it. <laughs> <laughs> all so. right. Matt Ebnett at Matt M A T T E B N E T says Josh Akogi will make an all defensive team and Malik Beasley will get six months of the year of votes. Uh, do you agree, Dan? Well, this is why we don't, encourage uh assuming that the most recent thing that happened is the thing that's always going to happen and i have to say that i've got the uh, box score versus the pelicans here and in terms of six man of the year so for beasley when you score five points and you also aren't the sixth man off the bench <laughs> your case for making six man of the year gets increasingly difficult yeah. um I think it's going to be tough for him to get the minutes that he needs to have the production he would need to get six man of the year um, Beasley. And I do hope that his, I hope psychologically he can handle that because, you know, we talked about the cohesiveness and like, uh, you know, the sort of kumbaya attitude to start off the year, but there's not a lot of minutes to go. There's a lot of guys getting fewer minutes than, than you might suspect. He did get 29 um, relative to like Nas's eight Vanderbilt's nine Prince's nine. Um, and even Beverly's only 20. It's interesting. The game last night closed with Beasley on the court and not Beverly it was another interesting rotational decision last night. But um yeah, I, he's not going to make the sixth man of the year. Um, and as far as Akogi, and this was also as followed up to how much money do we give Josh Akogi after he makes an all-defensive team, and why is it all of it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to say that takes not looking that great at the moment now. I think Akogi is going to settle into what he has been, which is a situational stopper that sometimes looks really great, but if the Wolves become like a tire fire. Josh Akogi ain't going to save the day. He's it's gasoline just, in that case. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, <laughs> he, he still is bringing, you know, his energy or whatever, but yeah, it's yeah. J- Josh Akogi would is so much better off when he's working within a, the context. He, he has to work within the context of an offense that is working better than this offense has been working. And then he can do it. He, what he's doing best, but also he can't be on an Island defensively, but he will not make an all defensive team. Dan, bring us home with the Timberwolf power rankings. All right. Well, we'll start with number five and I'm going to go with Torian Prince. And as I've said a couple times, he only got nine minutes last night, but he's productive when he's out there. And I feel like, this is almost a more hopeful take. He has not gotten a ton of minutes, but he has been productive in the minutes that he has gotten thus far this year, which I think not everybody on the roster can say, especially like consistent production. And I think that combined with his relatively speaking veteran presence um, is something that uh, could be really be useful for this team. And so I'd like to see a little more of him, but dearth of options right now, but I'm going with a, uh, Torian Prince is my number five. And number four? 
We're going with Jordan McLaughlin. He didn't have a great game last night, but he was brought in unexpectedly to close the entire fourth quarter of the previous game and played great. And he also got a bunch of minutes last night. And considering two games ago, I think we assumed that we weren't going to see McLaughlin unless there were injuries. And the fact that he showed his coach enough to get work his way into the rotation alone is like, that's, Man's got some power. I'm putting him at number four. Number three? So based on pure numbers, Cat would be arguably a number one. Um, but, I mean, well discussed in this episode, some of the emotional challenges he seems like he's going to have to overcome here. I got Cat um, number three. He's definitely he's taken a lot of criticism for a guy that got 34, 14, 2, and 2. <laughs> Yeah, no, and we should remind folks, this is not power rankings of who is the best on the team, but it's kind of like the mojo rankings, the buzz rankings, and I really, I can't say enough that, like, Cat is a basketball god, but I have been so vocal about that emotional side because I didn't see anybody really holding him accountable for that, truly, in terms of the, the wins and losses. There was a lot of blaming of the officials, which I get, Ed Molloy sucks, but we got to be better and he's got to be better. And so um, there's not cats, the best player on our team. He's phenomenal, but um, I could, thank you for slipping him to number three in the power rankings. I feel the <laughs> solidarity, Dan, number two. <laughs> uh, I got Patrick Beverly who uh, continues to be a tone setter. As we discussed here, I think you need somebody who is just simply a better player to assume the true mantle of leadership but the guy's doing everything he can in terms of saying the right things. And on the basis of stop bleeping, talking to them about the refs, if nothing else, <laughs> that, that inc- any encouragement he can give the team in that regard is going to go miles. Um, the Minnesota is still loving Patrick Beverly as am I. He's number, number two. one in this episode's power rankings goes to <laughs> Anthony Edwards, who, whether it's quarters of basketball that make you that I, I don't even I am was at a loss for words at what I was witnessing in the third quarter. Wish it could have sustained, wish I could have seen it a little more evenly spread out. But between the joy that he is giving me watching him play basketball to hearing him grow in like stuff I heard in his post game comments last night. Um, it, man, this guy is going to be tough to unseat from the number one position in Timberwolf power rankings. Josh, uh, you always give us a six man, which sometimes is not necessarily a man, but this time might be, we'll find out Josh sixth man. Yeah. You know, Dan, I'm going to toss Delo in as the sixth man as a surprising <laughs> pick only because Hey, in game one, he hit those four straight threes and and showed some some of that streaky shooting that we like. And in game two, he was clutch in the fourth quarter. I don't want his horrendous performance in the third game of the season to overshadow some of his positive contributions. Certainly, we need a lot more out of D'Lo, uh, and he needs to play a lot better for this team to meet its potential. But I also don't want to... Uh, discard the good that he brought in contributing to those first two wins. I thought you're going with D'Lo as sixth man because Orson Wells was the third man and D'Lo is playing basketball three degrees worse than Orson Wells in the (laughs) (laughs) the last two games. (laughs) But sometimes Dan, you just got to make the plays that win the game. And D'Lo when cat fouled out in game two, you know, we, I mean, cat fouled out with six and a half minutes left. It was also a, you know, an issue there. And without D'Lo, we might be one and two right now, which feels a whole lot worse. So I, yeah. and, And you need players who are, who can create those shots and make it happen. And he can certainly do that. And so he fills a, we have a rebounding gap and we kind of have a clutch gap to an extent, although I think that can and will be ant uh, long-term, but in the near term, it is D'Lo and he has followed through in that requirement. Thus and if far. you, th- 
And if you think D'Lo is going to continue scoring 14 points a game on really terrible efficiency, and that is going to define him as a player, you are nuts. <laughs> and we'll close that with, with that. <laughs> and with that, thanks everybody for tuning in. If you could think of anybody else who wants to join us for Minnesota Timberwolves and Craft Beer Talk, please let them know about Timberwolves Tip to Tap for Timberwolves Tip to Tap. I am Josh Dye. And I'm Dan Hilton. And that will do it for our 17th episode of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. Follow our Twitter at Tip to Tap. You spell out the word to talking mostly Timberwolves in the general NBA. Folks, the NBA season is upon us. What a balm, an elixir, an embrocation to help us go placidly among the noise and haste of a world full of sham, drudgery, and broken dreams. To paraphrase the desert or out of happiness by Max Ehrman. Remember, in your dealings with others in this community of NBA fans, you can see a contrary opinion and just let it go. Remember that the last thing that happened is not the only thing that has ever happened, but also remember that you can be realistic without trying to shit on everything. And remember, go- Ed Malloy sucks. <laughs> yeah. Go Wolves!